0: Fancyful thought in my head this morning, or I, I guess actually yesterday, that I was going to uh, wake up and like have this beautiful, like quiet, peaceful morning. I was going to like drink my coffee and like just spend a lot of time like sitting and reading my Bible and praying. Like I don't know what a lot of time was to me, maybe like an hour or something, like something that I maybe wouldn't normally have time to do in the morning. So I had this like beautiful idea, like I'm just gonna start the morning so peaceful, like so that I'm in the right mindset to come and speak. Um, that did not happen, <laughs> not even a little bit. I um, definitely woke up and like was instantly running around. I'm like. Praying as I change the baby's diaper and like am just sprinting around the house, half dressed, just trying to get here. Um, I forgot that I had to bring coffee this morning. So then I'm like running around trying to get the coffee here this morning so that people are caffeinated and not falling asleep while I'm talking. Um, So anyways, this peaceful morning just did not happen, but that's okay. I really am glad um, to be here with you guys. That had nothing to do with also what I'm talking about today. Um, Don't be fooled. That wasn't any type of special metaphor that you have to figure out later. Um, I just wanted to tell you how it is, be real with you this morning, but I'm really glad to be here Um, and really excited to be talking about Acts chapter 21. Um, So we left off in chapter 20, Uh, Jonathan spoke last week, and Paul is like traveling through Greece and Macedonia, he's sharing the gospel, Um, he's teaching the believers, and pretty much all through chapter 20, he's very eager to arrive in Jerusalem, that's like his main goal. Um, And as we dive deeper into Paul's life and mission, Jonathan shared with us last week that sometimes it takes a little bit of grit to get to great. Um, And like as we're watching Paul live out his life, we're actually going to continue along that vein of grit to great and talk about what it takes to live an extraordinary life. Um, And the reason I said it like that with the hyphen too is have you ever like heard a word and the way somebody says it changes the meaning for you? Um, But this is kind of like extraordinary to me. I've I've heard it said like extraordinary, which is just like really great, awesome, really good. Um, But I want to emphasize that we're talking about extraordinary, like above and beyond the ordinary, different from the ordinary. Um, And if you were like me, kind of as a child, I thought maybe one day I would just like wake up and like have this really, really adventurous life. Like, there would be missions to go on and, like, things to accomplish. And, yeah, my life would just be wonderful all of a sudden. But I think the book of Acts um, actually shows us how we might be able to really live out that type of life. Um, Because I've been in this adulthood thing not too long yet. But I have not, that has not panned out. Like, that waking up one morning to all these adventures and to this, like, miraculous amazing life has just really not worked for me up into this point and I've only been in adulthood for a couple of years um, so I'm thinking if it's already not going well I probably need a new plan. Um, but yeah we're going to dive in here and read more about kind of the life of Paul and actually see how he kind of sets an example for us of how we might actually step into this. So in verses 1-6 through six, we see Paul traveling more with the help of the disciples. He's pushing on. He's just trying to get to Jerusalem. Um, and we're going to start in verse 4. If you would, Thank you. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Um, so these are, we're going to jump to verse 7 here. But um, yeah, he had sought out some disciples as he was traveling along. Um, and we're going to come back to the importance of this verse, but we're going to skip to s- verse 7. Now, when he had finished the voyage from Tyre, we were, arrived at Tilemus, Ptolemus. I made a mental note to learn how to pronounce that. We're going to say Ptolemis. <laughs> and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to, to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Um, so I want to give you a couple of key points kind of today as we read through the um, Acts 21. We're actually going to read pretty much the whole chapter minus just a couple of verses. We already skipped a few. Um, But this actually brings us to our first point here, if you'd bring that up. A good life comes from obeying God's commands. An extraordinary life comes from saying yes to God's opportunities. Um, And I'm going to break that down into two, like, a little bit more applicable things here. So the first thing is we must learn to discern faith-filled versus faithless advice, Guys, we might be missing out on what God is doing if we're waiting for him to hand down commands rather than present opportunities to us. Um, And if you're paying close attention in verse 4, which I said we would come back to, it clearly states that the disciples were actually hearing the Holy Spirit, hearing from the Holy Spirit when they told Paul, to not go to Jerusalem. They were giving Paul accurate information. It was like supernaturally attained. They weren't just making something up. It wasn't just coming out of themselves. They knew from the Holy Spirit in truth what awaited him in Jerusalem. And again and again, um, we saw this a lot in chapter 20 also. We see that like the disciples and the prophets continually tell Paul like, hey, you will, you await, like, imprisonment, death, all these things in Jerusalem. You probably shouldn't go. Um, but thank God that Paul had the wisdom to push forward, to continue in faith. But wouldn't it have been good if even just, like, one person, even just one person stood with Paul and was like, hey, Paul, I see, I see what you see. I see the vision. That's worthwhile. Like, I want to stand in faith with you in that. Um, But unfortunately, that's not our story. I do think a lot, though, that um, as we read this and think about, like, the faithless advice that he was given, um, it reminds me of, like, our college population here. And I know for at least me personally, in my college experience, pretty early on, um, I came to this crossroads where, like, my parents or my family or my old friends, some like some group from my home, from my past, had told me advice, right? And you come to this crossroads where I'm like, hey, I think God actually has more for me. I think God has better for me. And I've seen this happen now working with Call to Greatness, um, seeing like college students come and go. I've seen that about every student I've ever met comes to this crossroads at some point. And they have to determine, okay, Like, here's something I've been told in the past. Here's what I'm seeing in the future. Here's what I'm seeing right now that God's putting in front of me. What will I choose? And man, more often than not, when I see students choose to move forward in faith, move past, and I'm talking about like logical, good, reasonable advice, right? We're not talking about like just bad trash advice that somebody has given them. I'm talking about like the things maybe your parents or your friends or anybody has told you that's reasonable, like things that, yeah, I should live that way. Um, But man, when I see people move forward in that, move past that, move to what God has for them, it's like incredible. The breakthrough that I see in their lives, the transformation that I see, and more often than not, when I see um, the people who choose to hold their parents or their family or their friends, hold that advice higher than God's advice, when they honor what their parents have said over honoring what God has said, man, they suffer. They miss out big time. Um, and I'm seeing this now again. This same pattern is coming now as a mother. It's like friends, family, other mothers, culture is telling me, giving me this advice. Um, and some of it's good. Some of it's like that's reasonable, logical advice, but I know that God, God moves past the logical. He moves past the reasonable. He moves in the supernatural. So I have to decide, like, am I going to, am I going to listen to reason and logic, or am I going to listen to the voice of God? Um, and I assume since I saw this in college, and since I see this in motherhood, that this is probably going to continue happening in my life, um, and I'm sure those of you who are older than me, um, could attest that this continues to be a process in your life. So secondly, opportunities come to those who take them. Um, Paul did not wake up one day like just a random, he wasn't just a random dude who woke up one day and God was like, hey Paul, you know what I want you to do? I want you to travel to Jerusalem and you're gonna go face off, the- face off with these people who hate you and want to kill you and just go do that. It'll be great. Like no, He didn't just wake up. It wasn't random. We see Paul continually, every day, he goes through this process of saying yes to God, of going in the opportunities that God has presented him with. Um, He lives out this life of obedience that we've seen all through the book of Acts. So we're going to keep on going, though, um, into verse 15. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manassan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands were among the Jews of those who have believed? Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment, that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be... Fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So, if you remember previously in Acts, um, we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. um, There was this huge disagreement a couple of chapters ago um, because the people wanted the Gentiles, the Jewish people, some of the Jewish people wanted the Gentiles to also be circumcised as they came into the faith. Um, But some of the Gentiles and some of the Jewish people were like, hey, we really don't want to be circumcised. So it's this huge argument. It's eventually brought to the elders. And the elders say, hey, if you're Jewish and you've been following these um, Jewish customs, these Jewish laws, like that's great for you, that's fine. But if you're a new believer or if you're a Greek, you don't need to do all of these things. Um, essentially just abstain from any practices which are related to witchcraft. So that's the, um, the blood, the things that have been strangled, things like that. Um, they're like, all the other laws, all the other customs, you don't need to do those. So now the people in Jerusalem are pretty upset with Paul. Um, They're angry because they think he hasn't been following their laws. And like it said, they were zealous for the law. And that sounds like a compliment kind of, but I don't think it was meant to be a compliment in this passage. Uh, But we actually read earlier that Paul was following the the Jewish customs. Um, And really he was doing it. Just like out of the kindness of his heart, he just wanted um, to be in better standing with the Jewish people so that they would receive the gospel that he was sharing. Uh, But Paul goes on anyways to purify himself um, with these men. And as I was reading this, I was like thinking again, man, like Paul just did not have to do this. Like there was... God didn't require it, the elders weren't requiring it, nobody was requiring it, requiring it out of him. He just really truly did this out of the pure kindness of his heart. Um, and I think right here the people of Jerusalem were probably, like I'm sure some people heard that Paul was going to do this purification process, and they were probably feeling pretty validated about themselves. Like, hey, yeah, we called you out on your sin, and now finally you're making up for it. Um, But it reminded me of this conversation, actually, that I had with Michael the other day. And he kind of like randomly looked at, at me um, one evening and asked me, do you want to let our kids win games? And I was like, okay, you're, I don't know what that means. You have to explain further. And he's like, you know, when you're playing with a kid and you like let them win. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, if like you're playing with our son and he's like five and you're playing a game of, like, basketball or something, like, don't slam dunk on him, like, come on, give the kids some mercy, but I was, like, if we're playing, like, sorry, like, a board game that's mainly based on luck anyways, I was, like, the kid can lose, like, it's okay, he'll be okay, he'll get over it, um, so, yeah, we kind of had, we went back and forth and had this conversation about, like, kind of, when is it helpful to let kids win, and when is it just, like, man, you're just not helping them be successful for life, um, but yeah, it reminded me of these, these people in Jerusalem, like this conversation did, did, um, and it's kind of cute when you let the five-year-old beat you in a game of basketball, but if at 25, my son throws a fit because he did not win a game, I'm going to be seriously questioning what I did wrong as a parent. Um, and I think that the people of Jerusalem, like, were probably at this point, and it's not a perfect metaphor, but I kind of wonder if our relationship with God is similar. Um, man, God is so eager to meet us with grace and kindness, even at our lowest moments. But out of that, he calls us higher. Um, so that is actually going to bring us to our second point. An extraordinary life requires us to change. Um, And really the motivation behind that is God's kindness should not be conflated with our own self-righteousness. It's easy to read the story and think, you know, Paul didn't have to work that hard to maintain the Jewish regulations. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But as we keep reading, we actually see that their demands for the law brought Paul to his imprisonment and eventual death. Paul is also like Paul also needed God's grace just as much as the Jewish people, but because he was willing to allow God to transform him, God's grace was able to move and work through him to actually expand the kingdom. And they really, they wasted Paul's time here. Like, truly, those seven days, he actually ends up spending seven days doing this process. Um, He could have been serving people, he could have been teaching, but they made him be a hoop jumper. And do we do the same thing to God? Because, yeah, like I was saying, like, God's grace is boundless, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that any hole I dig for myself, he's going to meet me in. He's going to come into that hole and meet me with abundant grace. But, man, at some point in my life, don't I want to meet him on the flat ground so that when his grace meets me, it's actually expanding out and not just filling up the hole I already dug for myself? And this isn't in any way saying I'm, like, saying that will ever reach perfection, that we won't ever dig holes for ourselves or anything, but there is a reality of even though God is limitless in grace and love and mercy, I am a limit, I am a limitful, I don't know what the, limited, <laughs> I am a limited person, like I only have so much time and energy, um, so man, I want to like, be allowing God's grace to transform me so I can move past the things that were once holding me back and see him expanding the kingdom. Um, and not only that, but man, I don't want to make God a hoop jumper for me. I don't want to say God like, hey, I, I've been so guilty of telling God like, hey, transformation, the things you want to change in my life, that's great, but like not this week. I am so overwhelmed this week, or like, hey, God, I need to sing, like, three worship songs, and then I can hear your voice. Like, then I'll be, then I'll be a little bit more receptive. But man, I don't want to be a hoop jumper, um, and I don't want God to be one either. I want to be able to hear his voice, to receive his grace, and see it work through me. And I think we've really, like, a lot of this comes from a lie. We've been told as the Christian church that, like, or as the Western church, I would say, that the peak of our Christian walk is maybe like financial stability, or good health, or a good family. And while living under God's lordship should produce some of these things in our life, we're going for such a bigger goal. We're walking into extraordinary. And the reality is that our lives should look a lot different from the kindest and wisest atheists we know. Like if we're if the, if our ultimate goal is just to be kinder and wiser and generous, that's that's actually not what God has for us. God has even more for us. He has extraordinary for us. And if our lives don't look different from the kindest and wisest and most generous non-believers we know, maybe we're guilty like the people of Jerusalem for mistaking God's kindness for our own self-righteousness. Maybe we've come to a point in our lives when we're like oh yeah things are really good in my life that's that must be because of what I've done because of who I've become in my life but man God is calling us to more so we're gonna finish up here in verses 27 when the seven days were almost complete the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him crying out men of Israel help this is the man who is teaching everywhere, everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. So this is going to bring us to our third and final point for the morning. When the people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, their stories will begin to look like his story. Um, That was actually a quote from the Bible Project. I do not take credit, but I thought they worded that so well. When the people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, their stories begin to look like his story. And this last chapter, this last part of chapter 21, so closely resembles the story of Jesus' own crucifixion. We see the angry mob. We see them calling for his life, accusing him of things. Um, And we even see the Roman government kind of do this, like, weird wiping their hands clean of the arrest. Like, oh, we're not part of this. We see them make kind of a feeble attempt to save Jesus' life. And then in the same way, we see them kind of make this feeble attempt to save Paul's life as they carry him above the crowd, the soldiers do. And I think um, this last point I have here is such a critical point because it helps us answer the question of, am I actually doing these things? Like, am I discerning advice? Am I taking the opportunities God is giving me? Am I changing? Um, man, so yeah, we can look at our lives and say, does my life, has it, has it started to look like the story of Jesus? Um, and that doesn't mean like we're all going to be eventually led to an untimely death. I hope that's not um, the result for most of our lives. But, like, there are other things. There's other similarities as we read through the Gospels that we can ask, like, does does my life, is it starting to resemble these stories? Are they starting sound, to sound familiar to my own experiences? Um, but, yeah, I want to leave you with these points and with just two questions here um, that will hopefully help you uh, kind of work these things out with yourself. So the first one is, am I living by any faithless advice? Um, and this could be from yourself, from a f- friend, family member, even a fellow believer, like we saw um, with Paul. W- those were disciples, they were prophets who were giving him that faithless advice. And secondly, is there a comfort in my life or a blessing with the understanding that any bu- blessings and comforts that we have are received as a result of God's kindness, that he's asking me to trade in for an opportunity to expand the kingdom. Um, so I'm going to encourage you guys to just ask God these questions. Just get alone with God. You can even do it right now. Um, and just pray and ask God, like, is there faithless advice I'm living by? Is there comfort in my life that you're asking me to trade in? Um, and you can take a picture or write these down. I know they're a little bit wordy, but... Um, But if anything comes up, go ahead and share that with somebody today or this week. Because we really need each other. Like, we can do ordinary alone. But this extraordinary that I've been talking about, like, that absolutely requires a community of believers. You cannot walk into extraordinary on your own. Yeah, so I'm just going to pray for us. God, thank you so much that you're a God who speaks to us, Lord. That you are a God who calls us beyond the ordinary. Lord, and I just pray right now that you would speak to the areas in our life, God, that we're living by faithless advice. God, I pray that you would even highlight an area um, today in our lives that's a comfort or a blessing, but that you are just waiting for us to hold up to you, to release to you, for an opportunity to expand the kingdom, God. God, we thank you that we get to come to you um, broken and imperfect um, and know that your grace will meet us anyways. And if we allow it, God, your grace will transform us. God, I just pray all these things in your name, Jesus.